Second show of season eight of Ready for Love Radio. This is your host and love coach, Nikki Lee. Today we've got a guest all the way from Italy, and her name is Claudia Monticello. Monticelli. So, <laughs> Claudia, it's great to have you with me today. Hi, Nikki. Thank you for having me. It's Monticelli. Everybody gets it wrong, but it's okay. It's like Monticello. <laughs> I knew, I knew I would mess it up. See? Stop. <laughs> hey, you know, they, they know I mess things up. <laughs> they forgive me. Like everyone else. <laughs> well, there, there is that. <laughs> so, we are human after all. <laughs> we are. We are. Hey, you know what? What what better way to start a new season, right? <laughs> so, exactly. Exactly. Hey, they they know that that I'm imperfect, <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and they must know that they are imperfect too. That's why <laughs> we all are. We all are. Yeah. You know what? I looked over your bio, getting ready yeah. for the show, and you mm-hmm. have wow. Is all I've got to say. You have done all kinds of very cool things. No. Oh, well, and and you know, I'm I'm really close to DC. Sometimes too close. You you've done some really cool things with the State Department. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you've been an interpreter, and you want to tell us a little bit about sure, what you did sure, with the State sure. Department? Okay. Um, well, uh, of course, I you, you prepare and you study. You, I have a degree in all of that. But I applied for the State Department, and because my professor was also an interpreter for the State Department, he says, you know, you'd be perfect. <laughs> all right. And a funny story is the day that. Um, I just put in the application. I didn't hear from them until two months later, and they gave me an appointment in front of the UN building in a in a hotel, in a room set aside, and you know that's where I would have had to take my tests. So of course I get at the time I was living in Brooklyn. I came across to the city an hour early, no, an hour and a half early actually, <laughs> and I thought, I can't wait 90 minutes, and so I went to a small place to have breakfast right next to this hotel, and you know how you have to get everything perfect, the white silk blouse with a skirt, blue typically, business, and your so- your stockings and the whole bit. I go and I have an uh, eggs benedict. And and I was eating and I was eating and of course plof, a a piece a piece a whole glob of butter went right in the middle of my blouse between my breasts. It was terrible. The entire time I was giving the interview, I was at the interview. I had my hands on my elbows on the table and my hands crossed in front of my breasts. There you go. There you go. 
so it started like that. That's how it started. You know, they gave us a test and um, we had to do all the different languages that we knew. And then I started working. And so the work with the State Department, I was a freelance interpreter and I was stationed out of New York City. So what I uh, got uh, saddled with sometimes was they would send me the bio of someone that they were interested in inviting over if they were to be guests of the United States government. And so I would meet the guest in Washington, D.C. I'd have the bio, I'd have you know their information, and I could say yes or no, but I have to give them in, in, within six hours I had to accept without knowing where we would go or what we would do. I just knew their background. It could have been a journalist, a young politician, uh, someone interested in art, anything. So I'd go to uh, Washington, D.C., meet the delegate, and we'd sit down in um, what uh, in the office of, uh, I don't think it was, it wasn't a travel agent, they had a certain name for it, but it was the a agency that took care of all the travel arrangements. And so it, there was a dialogue, well, what would you like to see? Is there anything specific? Do you, are you interested in talking to the media and all of these? And so the question, there was the interpreting back and forth and back and forth. And so we knew that we would go to Charlottesville. <laughs> That's very mm -hmm. dear to you. And that would be usually one of our first stops. And then we'd go on, you know, uh, other different places, uh, San Francisco. So you didn't know what the weather was like. That was the first difficulty that you encountered because you had to have everything in your suitcase, cold weather, warm weather. And so that was that. That was part of the adventure. And then, of course, I couldn't travel at the time when I was doing it. I couldn't travel with dictionaries, so you really had to think on your feet. And there was not access to anything wonderful like internet or you know or, or a, oh, yeah. an iPad that I could hold in my hand and just click away while I'm talking so that was really challenging so that was the, the let's say that the the um, type of work was you were on a one-on-one -on -one, usually a one-on-one -on -one, except um, during the elections there was a group of NATO countries um, that came over representatives and I was assigned to two Italian delegates and there there were two and they were from two different political parties and they did not agree and it was so difficult <laughs> to be with them all the time it was very difficult so so a lot of the work wasn't really just about the language but the interpersonal relations and and how to tiptoe into and out of uh, the the dance of conversation and being delicate but not and stern at the same time being the gatekeeper for you know when when who had to talk next and um, and I got into a couple of situations that were difficult I mean you know in the United States it well in the United States probably in many countries around the world when um, you talk to someone you just don't typically ask them how much money they earn or what well, their yeah. paychecks is like right so right. we were, um, you remember Star Wars, the oh, yeah. uh, Reagan era, right? We had right. Um, this group, this NATO group, and uh, we went to, um, to well, I won't say where, but it was an underground uh, um, uh, place <laughs> where, uh, where the Star Wars uh, played out. I mean, where typically uh, the general would have signaled different uh, attacks and stuff like that. But to get there, we weren't able to bring uh, pens, pencils, nothing, pads, nothing. Go in, 
and they give us a tour of the entire place. And uh, they were talking over me, one especially. I was starting to say how many tons of spring and all of that, and he was saying, what do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? <laughs> and, and in this whisper interpreting, because there were no booths, soundproof booths, so as you whispered, you heard the original uh, message, and so that was a challenge. When we get to the end of this tour, we sit into this, we sit in this conference room, and the general came out with a whip in his hand, cowboy hat, boots, and the one of my delegates said, "Ask him how much he makes. How? Ask him what he earns. Ask him what he earns." And I said, "I can't. That's not what." And I went halfway through my sentence. He stands up, and in Italian, he says, "How much money do you make?" Just like that. I could have I could have fallen into the ground. So I stood up and I said the gentleman to my right would like to know how how much money you earn. Oh, it was a terrible <laughs> question. So then he says I don't know how many thousand but which was a, a pit of not well you know the you know, uh, uh, government officials usually make less than uh, the private sector but in yeah. that, at that time, he he said what he earned. I think it was something like $35,000 a year, which is, you know, we're talking about the 70s. And and it was low. I mean, I <laughs> but it was low. And he's saying, you think? And he started yelling and screaming because he saw the faces in the crowd, in the, in the audience, in the hall. And he went on and on and on. So sometimes, you know, you get in these uh, situations where... Uh, socially, they're very delicate, and um, and you can't account for someone with poor manners. That's that's right. it, you know. Yeah, wow. difficult, difficult. So yeah. obviously, you have to repeat what they say or ask or whatever. Wow. Well, that that's <laughs> sort of uh, it's sort of a fallacy, the idea of repeating, because uh, there's never a one to one. Uh, 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 meaning for meaning in two different languages, you interpret. So if they say something, I because even with my husband, who I have you know known for over forty years, I still have trouble understanding. <laughs> <laughs> so so it, so with another person that you've never uh, met before, the uh, inevitably there is a difficulty in communication. There always is. I mean, communication is difficult, and I'm, I know that you know that. Um, but but you interpret what they say, and sometimes uh, people think they might know more than you do. Uh, especially another th difficult case is uh, press conferences where uh, the press typically are very, very uh, stern and they sort of monitor you and feel that they know, you know, much more than you do. And so I got mm -hmm. into a situation once when I was interpreting something that a guest had said and they didn't, they, they came out after me three times. Can you tell us exactly what they're saying? We want you to tell us exactly what they're saying. Three times and I said, well, you know, Italians are very gracious. They love to hear their language spoken by foreigners. Why don't you ask him directly? That was the end of that. Well, and the press is trying to catch you, you know, so they're, yeah. they're saying it in a sneaky way anyway. I would think some are anyway. 
Yeah, yeah. I don't want to get myself in trouble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I mean it is. I mean everybody does their job, and the press has has a high power job, and and they you know have to get their story straight. So, but there were other times when I worked with the press when uh, the words, the exact words or turns of phrase or metaphors that I used were actually printed uh, in the newspapers the next day, which was, you know, gratifying. I thought very small <laughs> gratification, but, but at least, you know, someone was listening. <laughs> yeah. This is true. This is true. Uh, wow. So what, what is one of the hardest things about being an interpreter did you find? Well, I think that one of the hardest is, like I said, it's never about the words or the, the, the knowledge that you have, but it is about the political social interaction with the people that you're working with. If you're traveling and you're a liaison or a diplomatic interpreter, that is is the most difficult uh, thing that you have to deal with when you're working in a conference with earphones on and in a booth you're that is probably one of the easiest because you don't have face-to-face -face interaction you can uh, uh, you know work in a different way and relax because people are not always eyeing you up down you know up and down and and that could make you nervous but working in a booth has its has its positive sides to it um, but the most difficult is is that social dance in and out of, of uh, talking because some people think that everyone speaks and communicates to make themselves understood but not so in politics politicians right. invariably want to um, not be understood a hundred percent or they use such fluff fluffy language to conceal what they're trying to say. This is notable. I mean, this is noted by, has been noted by many um, academics, and, and it's typical of political language. And all you have to do is uh, take a speech by any politician, any 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 single politician, run the speech through software, and even with just a repetition of the key words, you can see how it it. Um, how what the message is like right away and um it's fascinating it's fascinating to see it from afar you know studying it from afar but when you're in the trenches and you're working you know getting those words in and out in and out um it, it could be it's challenging but then you know there is the other side to the story nikki i mean sometimes you have to interpret people who i I mean, you you just wish they'd shut up. <laughs> <laughs> and you're thinking, oh, please, yeah. <laughs> yeah, please stop. <laughs> Boy, I could go on about that for the next five yeah. hours. So yeah, I I mean, <laughs> I'm sure you can. I'm sure I can too. <laughs> um, I, mean, I bet you have a list of people that you could do on about that for. <laughs> That's too funny. Uh, so what, what was the most fun thing about being an interpreter? Well, uh, when you uh, work with people who, in, in the case of the State Department, who are fun, they're just fun. Uh, for example, I worked with a curator, um, a woman who um, had worked in a, um, in, uh, a modern uh, contemporary museum in Milan. And when she came over, we were together for two months, two weeks, and 
she was she really wanted to have a good time in the evenings after I worked all day she really wanted to go out and eat and drink and you know and I was just so tired but you know that was fun I have to say it was a lot of fun sometimes the members of the team are also fun um, if it's a large group the um, State Department uh, employees <coughs> excuse me are really a lot of fun and so you know go dancing and things like that that is that is it could be very fun but you know typically my motto is when you work hard you play hard and and that's yeah <laughs> that's what I did a lot <laughs> well I think I think in order to maintain that pace and to maintain your sanity and your mental well-being I think you have mm -hmm. to play hard when you work hard you yeah, know I mean yeah. it, almost to, to maintain that balance you kind of yeah. have to. Yeah, you do, but it's it's um I there are so many things you just can't do. I mean, you have to. Your voice is a really delicate instrument, so uh, you you can't stay up that late. Uh, you can't get hardwired drunk the night before because then True. you just can't act. You know, so you when you're on an assignment, you're on an assignment. You know. True. Um, but meeting people from all different walks of life that definitely is is the probably the best uh, probably the most interesting side to the story yeah and I used to think I actually used to think that the travel would be the positive side but nothing is farther from the truth traveling was such a pain in the neck because you don't get to see anything and no. you, you really don't you know it's just it takes up a lot of time and then there's the time zones you know but um, but it does it has its positive you know sides to it like any job really but um, it was a challenge it was a real challenge and what I liked the most about it Nikki I have to say that when you do such a job like that where it requires uh, I guess a little bit like you and I are talking now uh, you're you're on the other side and you're listening to what I'm saying and you're paying attention because then the rest of our conversation will derive from what we're saying so it's very difficult for you to for your mind to wander I would imagine right and um, what I liked about that work this interpreting especially the uh, simultaneous interpreting is that once you do it your mind is there you're in the moment and then you right. go out of that and then you know you leave it behind you know that's that's what I liked about it yeah. well you know one of the things that I I mentioned on here so often is to to actually be in the moment when you're talking to somebody and listen yeah. to what they're saying because you know so many times when you're talking to somebody they're they're not actually listening to you they're but thinking about what be? they're going to say you know how they're 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 how? planning what they're going to reply uh, I see I see I see what you're you know? saying yeah yeah they're yeah they're they're planning their comeback but the yeah. thing is they're not actually listening mm -hmm. to you completely Mm -hmm. and then pause and then reply they're 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 planning the comeback you know they they yeah. gotta you gotta have the snappy comeback and the thing oh. is if if you're spending all this time what am I gonna say what am I gonna say yeah. you're not hearing yeah. this person singing to you you know what I mean I had a, an actually I had a very negative uh, experience because I too have a podcast uh, it's called multiple voices and one of my guests um, you came on the show and I would ask her questions on the basis of her bio just like you have done you know and she just 
did would never answer the question. She yeah. would uh, she would just go say one sentence and then go on to something else, maybe a book promotion or something. It was driving me crazy. Don't I know that. Oh, people do that. But not only at one point, since she was promoting her book, she said, "Please um, indulge me," and uh, she started reading from the book. It was it lasted twenty minutes. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> you know, the service I use has a mute button. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> you can mute the person if they do that. <laughs> really? Really? <laughs> yeah. Right. But I just, you know, just, just in case that would be useful. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's terrible to talk bad about somebody. Boy, that really, uh, it taught me a lesson. It really did teach me a lesson. Um, I'm yeah. still not sure exactly what lesson it is, but... <laughs> I, I learned that maybe to cut people. I don't know. Do you ever cut uh, people off, or has that ever happened to you? I I have occasionally. Sometimes mm -hmm. I do it joking because, like, mm -hmm. I've I've had somebody say something, and and I I get an idea of something. I'm like, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. What did you just say? Yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. It's it's something funny, but yeah. well, and I did I did have a woman one time. And she says, "Well, not to bash men." And I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wasn't going to have that. So I cut her off, and I kind of put her in place. Um, I, I have yeah. a few times. I have a few times, but mm -hmm. I, I usually pre-screen enough that, yeah. and and I've actually had a couple come on, and I've talked to them enough at the beginning to know that I didn't want to have them, and I've like canceled the the interview. Yeah, yeah, but I know. um. Yeah. But yeah. Well, well, and I pre-record. So yes. if they ramble yes. on for 20 minutes, I'll yes. actually record more than an hour and then I like chop it when I edit. Right. Yeah, that's so a good I, idea. Yeah. I usually I usually work around. If somebody yeah. goes on a tangent I don't want, I'll I'll just chop it. So Yeah. Yeah. Now, see, I'm, I'm, you, you had me give all my secrets away to the listeners. Yeah, I, was, I, was just going, I was just going to say, you know, you're giving me, you're giving away secrets. <laughs> but, I mean, some, sometimes, well, my thing is, though, I, it, it, an interview is a give and take. You know, yeah, I, of I've course, heard people of course. before that have said, well, I'd, I'd love to give a talk to your listeners. I'm like. No, oh, well, no, yeah, no, no, that's that's no. not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for an interview, you mm -hmm. know. And they're like, "Well, but this this is my specialty." I'm like, "Well, yeah, I know, I know." But I'm a I coach know. too, and I want us to have a conversation yeah. for the listeners. I'm, you know, if you want to give a talk, then schedule yourself as a speaker somewhere. This, no, that's not what you're doing here. Yeah, you yeah. Know, so. I have a format, and that's what we're going to do, or you're not coming yeah. on, you know. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. no, I, I didn't. I, I didn't spend eight years building the show up to have speakers <laughs> come on. And, no, exactly. Yeah, no, <laughs> no. It, it's like my show for a reason. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Get, go get your own show. <laughs> exactly. You yeah. Build up your own show and be a speaker yeah. if you want to. But um, yeah. Wow. But anyhow, <laughs> yeah. Well, we, you know, we, we were talking. We were talking about language, and and yeah, you, you know, it's funny because um, 
uh, for example, I had um, I had poor woman. She's passed a sister who was a hairdresser, and of course I I'm a linguist. And she said to me, "No, Claudia, look, the, when you see a person." their head is the most important thing. And I said, no, come on. When they open their mouth, that's the most important thing. <laughs> so, of course, everybody has their own, you know, importance. And if, if you're a, a fashion designer, of course, clothes you wear is the, is the most important. But, but uh, again, I still say language, you just, you can't do anything without it, really, can you? Well, True. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe. Well, but now communication is more than just how they speak though. But right? exactly. Yep. Because uh-huh. yep. yeah, yeah, you've yeah. also got body language, which is part yeah. of how they speak. Of sure. course with the internet and chatting and direct messages and text, we've lost a lot of that. Well, and probably one of the most important things are the eyes. And yes. how the eyes the, the the communication with the eyes, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I this is too funny, and it's a little <laughs> off topic. But I, I got a, a new cat lately, and she's got the most expressive <laughs> eyes I've ever seen. Oh my goodness, it's hysterical. But anyway, totally off subject. <laughs> she, she, she gives you these expressions that are priceless. Oh my goodness, it's hysterical. I've got another another story off topic, but it's with the eyes and it's funny. Um, I also dance Argentine tango, and there you just I saw don't that. you don't speak. And of course, the the interesting thing is that you are invited to dance with the eyes that the man looks at you you have the option not to look at them if you don't want to be invited you just turn your head or or tie your shoes or get up and go to the ladies room but once from across the room this man looked and nodded and came towards me and right across the dance floor and three of us stood up (laughs) three women and and he went through us to get his coat on the ledge behind us. <laughs> oh, it was so funny. <laughs> that that eye communication did not work very well. <laughs> that's bad. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Oh my gracious. Okay. <laughs> that's bad. Okay. Now you do work with couples with archetypal psychology right 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 yeah 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 I have Um, I have been very very curious to get more information about that yeah so there's something about um well if I said to you Nikki you are a queen you'd know what I meant or if Mm. I said God you look like a bag lady today or something (laughs) or (laughs) you know so I mean there's there are images that are are fairly universal but, unless, uh, but but you know bag lady will probably um, be uh, relegated to the English language but it's more or less uh, they're understandable now uh, why I think it was about four months ago I um, did a study with um, different couples it didn't have to be a romantic couple it could have been business partners it could have been uh, husband and wife uh, could have been family members or friends and all I needed was their first 
name. I said, give me the first name of one and the other. It could have been two women, two men, a man and a woman. It didn't matter. And so I ran them through my uh, the way I work with couples and the uh, archetypal readings that I give couples. And out of these hundred uh, couples, there was an underlying uh, archetypal pair that was the most common. And I'll, I'll tell you that and, and how they interact their mental and emotion, how they en- interact mentally and emotionally. Um, and the pair is the king and the maiden. Now, listen to this. If I came, say, say a couple comes to me and they correspond to the king and the maiden and, and they ask for an archetypal reading and I give them, you know, this, I'm brushing the surface here uh, because it's a long uh, process, but uh, let's say that for the king, uh, self-esteem and self-respect motivate him or her because women also come out as kings. And for the maiden, she's motivated by safety and security. But the king needs to feel vulnerable in order for him to change. And sometimes... A tragic event is what does it for him. There's a tragic event and he changes. The maiden can help him relax and see the beauty in the world, but she's naive. And it will only bring the king out in him full force. She is his responsibility and under his control. She won't be able to... uh, harbor change she won't be able to help him change she's very spontaneous she's adventurous and uh, most of the time and can show him a good time if they travel and he however he may be too demanding with her at first because she's so easygoing and innocent and she won't challenge him outright Um, he tries to protect her from the harshness of life but she in her life needs to stand on her own two feet but the king wants to take care of her and doesn't want to teach her to be independent and self-reliant so he can feel young again around her this is the positive side to that couple and enjoys showing her off she's his possession and he doesn't think he she can live without him she's but the maiden usually is more resourceful than he thinks she does look up to him he's the rock of her life and her personal defender but they clash if he lets down his guard and isn't there for her when she needs him after a while his demands change the maiden she becomes harsh or she could become jaded and if this happens he will be wondering scratching his head thinking where did the sweet woman i uh, was fell in love with where did she go and eventually she'll learn to stand up to him and that's the end of their relationship <laughs> so i mean i i made it very short and, and it's superficial right. but but you get the picture <laughs> right and so when i go through the usually it's a longer of course the reading is longer the the people that i work with are Hmm. Hmm. Oh, my goodness. That's right. Oh, gee. It, how did you know that? <laughs> right. Right. And and it's very eye-opening. What I like about it is that it opens a person's eyes without going into the, you know, question and answer to the 
to the uh, one side of the couple or the other what do you do when this person does that how do you respond to because it takes the pressure off of individuals and puts it out there on a universal universal um, uh, plane where people can reason almost in the abstract you know and it's they, they learn immediately they figure it out immediately and, and I love it I just love it it's uh, right. it's very intuitive as well yeah yeah yeah, that mm. well, that <laughs> so many people. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is this was the most um, common, you know, the most common, um, and well, of course, there's so many pairs. Every single couple has a different pair. Um, there's something, for example. Uh, there's there are females can correspond to something called the female messiah um, and the king what happens to the king when he encounters the female messiah and we know from from what I've just said is that he needs self-respect he needs self-esteem and um, and he has an, an aesthetic need to be connected to something greater and that motivates the female messiah but not the king the king wants self-esteem self-respect she needs something greater but he needs like in order to change he needs to feel vulnerable to change and he needs that tragic event and she can help him change but he will not enjoy the way she goes about it because she can be pushy uh, <laughs> she she needs to let go she needs to learn to let go of the outcome of an event and to trust what guides her her intuition who are her intuition and he is so used to structure and planning that he can't help her with all of that he's not even sure he believes what she believes in and at first it may seem funny to him but sooner or later he'll expect her to calm down and find <laughs> find a new direction in life <laughs> Uh, and so if he's but if he's willing to suspend his disbelief he can be an asset to her because he can help her make a plan and get people together to carry out that plan you know like a business um, but he can be a drawback if he refuses to take her seriously or to believe in her and that's where the problems start he can cause her to doubt herself and what she's doing he may also try to do everything for her and take control of the situation he won't do things her way and that's the problem so but she won't sit still sit still so for too long unless she's living in an, a very oppressive society for women where women uh, let's say don't uh, don't get up and leave the homes it soon I'm thinking of a, a, a society that could be like India or many others where women do not have uh, um, the freedom of uh, freedom they don't choose to to uh, be free in their decisions um, and this doesn't fit well with the king he wants to build his mini kingdom starting from his home you know and she's always on a new agenda or a new cause and the king can't deal with that and either he's the number one thing in her life or it's over and it's usually over now these are two <laughs> two right. stories that you know they're not happily ever ending but you know but and not ever after but still there are some really really great you know great uh, for example there is the pair of the femme fatale with the ladies man 
oh, they really, really feed off of each other. And you can imagine how, because they both um, make each other jealous, but also intrigue each other. And you would never think that a ladies' man could pair up with a femme fatale because he would have his entourage and she hers but it's fascinating to see it's really fast i mean it's fascinating really really fascinating interesting i'm, I'm yeah. actually picturing people in my head as you're describing these yeah 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 well well this is the thing because archetypes are universal symbols and people can understand them when when you talk archetypes if you talk archetypes then i know you know i know uh, that uh, my son says i said if i say call him up and i say well how are you doing you know and he's saying uh look it's not you know it's not my best day i i feel like i you know like a pauper you know <laughs> so and that's the, you know, you, oh. <laughs> did you lose money today? What happened? <laughs> and, and you understand exactly what's going on, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly what's going on. Yeah, there is a loss. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is bad. <laughs> yeah, so bad. I, I was on. Um, I was on a. Um, uh, guest on a show with two women, two young women, um, millennials, Indian women actually, but who were very mysterious and they never uh, show their faces or uh, or their real names and and I they were interested in the psychology of archetypes and because they had studied um, archetypes and they had studied psychology and so I I said okay well let's let's to both of you as a couple, you know, as a business couple. It was fascinating. It was fascinating. They were game. I have to admit they were game and, and they, you know, stood to the challenge and and one of them came out as being a storyteller as a an overarching archetype i read four different and one of the um, different archetypes archetypal readings is that uh, when you transgress um when you transgress typically you go beyond the you know you go out of the envelope space you know you go beyond what is uh, considered um, uh, legal in, in inverted commas, you know, typically transgressions would be in the bedroom, you know, in, instead of the boardroom. And one of the two women was an overarching, uh, had the overarching archetype as a storyteller, but the other, when we talked about transgressions, she came out as a storyteller. And it was fascinating, you know, it was fascinating because you could see her in her, you know, uh, um, romantic dealings as a storyteller. She would be the one who created the entire plot. You know, <laughs> it is. It's very interesting. It's very interesting. And you know, uh, the other came out as as being. Um, I, I don't know if it was a messiah or a nun, but it was a religious archetype. And uh, so, so that also had its. You know fascination in in the bedroom as being you know completely out of you know if you want to transgress and you come out as playing playing you know we could say a role but it's interesting it really is interesting yeah yeah interesting yeah well, i'm familiar with the archetypes you know as far as writing and mm -hmm. and looking that you know into your characters and this sort of right thing. right exactly but i haven't i'm not familiar with the psychology of them at all 
Right. Oh yeah. Well, well, let's say that um, James Hillman is uh, is the man who is the psychologist who coined archetypal archetype psychology, who studied with Carl Jung, and he was the first um, he was the first director of the um, Jung Institute in Zurich, and he comes from Atlantic City. Think of that. Um, and he he he's fascinating. He is fascinating. His, his writing, his books are just fascinating. And he didn't want to dumb psychology down. That wasn't the idea. But the idea was to take the pressure off of um, making people feel how you know understanding a person's own for them to understand their own issues. And it was it was be one more step in the direction of self care, self uh, um, uh, let's say healing in in within a couple uh, of some mm. sort, which was interesting. It's interesting for me. Yeah. Well, like I said, it makes sense that you know it, it's easier to relate to a story than to relate to you did this or you do that that kind of thing. well yeah so, yeah because because it within let's say in the home let's say the woman is a maiden in the home but when she gets on the workplace she's a she's a king so she you know she takes on a different role and so so it's different if she has a king at home she can understand the king if she is the king on the workplace and so there there are a lot of different ways you know it's easy like you said you know it's easier to uh, understand something when it doesn't touch you directly um, right. in in many ways, but that you can relate to. That the idea is that the relating has to be there and it has to uh, resonate with with them for it to be effective. Right. Yeah. Well, this is like people sharing memes on Facebook. Yeah. You yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. The thing applies to them, but if if you tell them straight out. Mm-hmm. They'll never get it, but then two days later they're sharing a meme that says the exact same damn thing you just told them. You're like, right, oh, right, I right, can right. Do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah. It, but it's on a meme with pretty kitties, and they're like, oh, <laughs> yeah. like now, mm-hmm. now, don't knock that type of communication. It works. <laughs> I'm just saying, it works. <laughs> Yeah, it does. It does work. Yeah. Like, wish I'd said that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I've got one friend that does that all the time, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> 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 yeah. Like, okay, her subconscious got it. <laughs> you know? so. Oh, that cracks me. Every time I see that those on her page, I just, I just laugh. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's your favorite? Um, when, I mean, I'm going to ask you a question if you don't mind. <laughs> um, oh, what's your lovely. favorite um, means of communication? If you had to pick one. If I had to pick one. It's not text. It's not chat. Uh, probably depends on who I'm communicating with. Yeah. I actually like letters. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Because it's more personal. Yeah, and I do like do. talk. I I like the conversation. I think. I do. Yeah. Well, I like talking in person, face to face, so you can right. actually see the person. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's much better. Yeah. 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 Well, you reach out to the person if you want to. Yeah. 
Uh-huh. But yeah, yeah, there aren't enough chances to do that with some people. But yeah, yeah. it just you lose too much when you're not when you can't see them. Yeah, you know, it's true. It's true, but it also has it, it gives you the opportunity to be able to use your imagination in a way that you wouldn't, uh, you know, if you were watching someone. Because a person's voice really does talk about them, you know, tells tells a big story about them. True. Yeah. Well, the thing too is is there's too many times though when you're talking, like on the phone or whatever, and somebody else will butt in, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And there's, <laughs> there's yeah. actually sometimes when when I talk to some people and I just want to say, would you just go outside? would you just go outside (laughs) would you would you just take the phone and go outside where other people aren't (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know because it's it's just if you want to talk to them then hang up (laughs) (laughs) oh if i want to talk to the other person i'll call them (laughs) (laughs) i know that's me just mean. <laughs> so. Yeah. So yeah. what what is this about linguistic analysis of TV series? Ah, okay. Um, well, the the interesting part about linguistics is that you could really do anything. You know, you could uh, study uh, voice communication, written communication, television series, uh, uh, journalism newspapers, the media, blogs, that's been popular very recently. And um, what I did for a while was, I, I, this is the way it started. Um, I was interested in writing a book of, on women of power. Not necessarily women who have power, but women who are either are influencers, influencers or who have a following and that's why they're powerful so because uh, secretly inwardly i was thinking that that's that was my role at the university because i I work at a university i have a i'm a professor at university and i get very frustrated with the powers that be and i know you know and i i have power i've got power (laughs) so i was writing a book and um and I sent the book proposal to my uh, publisher in, um, in in the Netherlands, and they came back saying, "Oh, this is great! This is great! Give us, give us more! Give us a chapter!" And then, and when they came back to me, I said, "No, I can't! I can't write another book! Not another academic book! I can't!" Because the, typically, you do. There's a very restricted uh, readership, and um, it becomes dry. The, the writing is drier, you know, than than uh, the more dissemin- you know, disseminate ish. You want a book to be disseminated and to be read, you know, and enjoyed, and you use a right. different language, right? So right. that original book, um, I, then I said, no, I wanted to, I want to publish in the United States. That's how I started. Um, and the idea was that originally, women of power. And I studied different, um, for example, one of the uh, TV series that I uh, studied in detail was um, Scandal, 
that you may know of with Carrie Adi. Washington. Yeah. Right. And um, so I studied her language in all of the episodes and series. And and another one that I worked on a, a lot was Homeland, the protagonist of Carrie. She was right. a CIA agent. Um, and so so there, because they were women in Carrie's, in Carrie's um uh, case she had this bipolarity and I was interested in knowing how they depicted uh, a woman that had her power because she was very influential they would send her anywhere because of her. she was so dynamic and she was so she was brilliant you know and however her bipolarity seeped into the storyline at certain points of the plot which were fascinating to, to to me to see, and um, and she even falls in love. But it was during that moment that she falls in love that her bipolarity didn't exist at all. But then, you know, it's, it's fascinating the way they the, the way um, producers create a storyline and put in elements that will show you something, then remove it. And my take in studying these uh, different TV series was that these were basically fashioned on uh, real characters and characters in real life. Surely, Kerry Washington's character was a, a, an influencer in New York City, in Washington, D.C. And, um, and how the TV series influences viewers as well because they create then another generation of people who, of women, who think that they need to be high-powered in a certain way, you know? And, um, and so that's the idea of writing that book. So now the book, of, the book that was called The Women of Power is now uh, the, pleasure, the Magic of Pleasure Seeking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the magic of pleasure seeking, which is based on archetypes. So there'll be a chapter on every different female archetype where I use, you know, examples from that study. Um, and the idea is what, when you work with the uh, linguistics, what we call the delicacy of a uh, of a an analysis is, for example, I could uh, study all of the pronouns pronouns, I, you, we, they, you know, how they are used in sentences and in the script and see who says that. And when the main protagonist, if it's the woman that I'm, you know, analyzing, how she becomes inclusive or exclusive and it, depending on who she speaks to and how much distance she puts between people and the greater distance, the more power she has. And it's, it, you know, it's complicated to explain, but uh, it's fascinating because um, on the one hand, people who read studies like this, they say, oh, come on. <laughs> I could have told you that, you know. <laughs> but then they, you know, they miss the, the, the glaring reality that, that they would have lost, that they lose without looking under the surface, you know, um, where where she does have a soft spot, she does have a, has a weak side to her, as as Carrie has in in Homeland, and her language changes, but not that much, you know, um, and it's quite interesting. It's quite interesting. For example, in in um, of course, maybe the, your audience, not not everyone, may have seen um, Scandal, but in that TV series, 
um, Carrie Washington, I mean, it was Carrie Washington, yeah, I can't remember her screen name, but anyway, uh, she came from two parents, and one of the parents was this female uh, spy from somewhere. We never get the clear picture, and it's fascinating when we see how this poor woman, this poor Carrie, comes out of two parents who didn't even communicate with each other and had you know, so many secrets one from each other. And she came out never understanding who her parents really were, you know? <laughs> True. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. You know, I loved the first part of that series and didn't like the second part of the series at all. I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, and I think they pulled it out too much. I, I think that um, there was, all right, the, her father. Her father. How how mean of a man could he have been, and how yeah. many people could he have killed? You know, I mean, I, it was not credible after a while. You know, um, well, it just wasn't. Well, and and as long as it was focusing on her work, but yes. then when she got so completely tied up with the president, yeah, it just yeah, it just lacked credibility to me. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. That's true. And too. It, yeah. It, but I mean, I just I loved it in the beginning. The first yeah. couple seasons, I just I was I I would have watched it, you know, four or five times a week. I loved yeah. it so much. But yeah. Then it got to but, the point, and I just yeah. I no. Well, you know, there was a shift in the plot when there was. she then starts being uh, her, uh, the consultant for the president's former wife. Yeah, uh, because she then runs for president, you know. And so then you're thinking, come on, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah. only only on TV that could happen. You know? yeah. yeah, like I said, they're just it, she just wasn't the, she wasn't the same character, mm-hmm. and it just uh uh-uh, uh no no yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah but yeah I I loved it in the beginning I just raved about it to everybody yeah and then yeah. it just it. it yeah, there was there was one season, and it just like, nah, no, no more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, there's a, the other uh, TV series, Madam Pres, Madam, uh, what is that? I can't remember the Secretary. name. Secretary. Madam Secretary. Yeah, I'm sorry that that didn't go forward because I really enjoyed that. Uh, I enjoyed her relationship with her husband and how they. That was uh, interesting. Yeah, how they had to communicate and how, uh, you know, this give and take and his, his. Um, I think, I don't remember if he was a historian, if he was an historian. Um, he had an interesting job, which yeah. had an interesting undercurrents to what she was yeah. doing. Yeah, yeah. But that is another series I would have liked to get my hands on. <laughs> it's, uh, it's on Netflix now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I've seen it, but I think it's, it, there's no... There are no longer any seasons. I I don't think. I think it's over, isn't it? Okay. I I thought there was oh, another. Tell one me, because we we in Italy um, get them later, and we don't get all of them. So maybe I'm behind. Come on, please tell me that there's more to come. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll check. I was thinking that there Give was. Me hope. Maybe <laughs> I didn't see the last one, so uh-huh. I'll um, I I could be wrong, but I'll I'll do some looking. Yeah, <laughs> she was huh. up for for the presidency, I think, when um, the president passed either passed away or got st- sick, and they were thinking of her to run, if I'm not mistaken, something okay. like that. 
All right. Mm-hmm. Huh. I'll, like check. Yeah. I'll check. Yeah. I'll check. I'll look when we're done. But yeah, I, I like that. I like that very much. <clears throat> but I like to run all of Tim da- Daly. So, and like I said, I just, there were a lot of things about the show that I liked how they did it. Yeah. But in yeah. self preservation, self preservation yeah. and simultaneous interpreting sounded, it actually sounded interesting. It, tell, me, tell me a little bit about that. Okay. <clears throat> That's interesting in the sense that I um, had real um, feed, real uh, texts that from interpreting the source text, we call it, what an interpreter listens to, and then the, the production, the target text. And what I watched, what I looked at was cases of uh, self-preservation in this sense. Um, for example, there's an interpreter, this is one of the cases, there's an interpreter at a press conference. No, she was in a booth. She was in an interpreting booth. And um, there was an, um, an Israeli who, a woman, it was a woman's uh, delegate, conference Iranian, women politicians in the Mediterranean. And the, um, the Israeli got up and started talking in English and said, um, please forgive me. I had a sore throat yesterday. I you know, had a fever and I had a sore throat today and I wasn't feeling very well. And, um, but I've ha- I'm you know, very pleased to have the opportunity to speak to you today. And I think it's important for us to all have the opportunity to speak. And then she stops just very briefly, turns. She was on the podium. You could literally hear, hear her turn away from the microphone and said, I heard what you said. I heard what you said, and she was talking to um, another uh, female politician from another country. And I, in for the Italian interpreter to say "you," because in Italian there is the uh, the formal "you" and there is the informal "you," and in English you just say "you," right? right? And when you point to someone in a crowd, when you point to someone in a conference, that is face threatening, and you wouldn't do that. So. What the interpreter did was she distanced herself, and this was to save her own face, saying, what would you do if, what would you do if, I heard yesterday there was talk of the passive, the passive voice, there was talk, instead of saying that you said this. And so that was one way of protecting her face. Why do I say that? Because interpreters, especially in the simultaneous working mode, are taken to be the speakers. And especially if you're listening and you don't understand the other languages, you have to listen to the interpreter. You think that's the interpreter saying or swearing or doing anything. All those, you know, the faux pas. And what I found, and this is across the board, all of my, um, all of my uh, participants did not swear. They did not, uh, they always distanced themselves. They always used the third person as I did when I was in um, at that uh, Star War com- compound. I said the man to my right, the gentleman to my right. It wasn't me, it was him, you know. And right. uh, because <laughs> they will not accuse or direct uh, any direct attack on anyone. And it's, it's, it seems like an unspoken policy because it's not something... I teach conference interpreting. It's not something we say in class, but but we do bring our research, and this is one of the things that that has come up there. Yeah, and that's how people protect themselves and protect their face. Yeah, that was it was a linguistic study as well. That's a good idea. <laughs> do you want to tell people how they can find more information about you? 
Sure, sure. Um, I have a website, which is www.claudiamonicelli.com. You can find everything about me there, usually, and a way to contact me. I'm on Instagram, The Magic of Pleasure Seeking, Twitter, Magic of Pleasure. All right. Hey, Nikki, what? thank you so much. This was a pleasure. Well, see, speaking of pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, well, I tell you what. I will have a replay of today's show, uh-huh. and I will have links to your information and your bio. Sure. Sure. And it will be on lovecoachjourney.com slash interpreter. How about that? Oh, I think that will sure. work well. Sure, sure. Why awesome. Thank, Thank you very much you. for being here. And we'll listening. talk again soon. We'll talk mm-hmm. again soon, and I'll be looking out for your episodes that I like to listen to. They are really interesting. I really enjoy listening to your podcast. Thank you very much, and there will be more. And listeners, I'll be with you next time on Ready for Love Radio.